We are Michael and Brianna Porter, and this is the Intimacy is a Verb podcast, where we talk about healing, growing, and thriving in marriage. We met Dave and Linda Cheek about just a couple months into Michael and I's reconciliation, and they were several years further on down the road than us. They've been such a source of wisdom and encouragement as we have just struggled and fought our way to healing and wholeness, and we cannot wait for you to hear from them today. Yeah, we um, have really benefited from having somebody that's a little bit further along in, in their journey than us, and we also want to encourage anyone else who's in the same situation or, or really anywhere in in life right now to find somebody who's a little further along in their journey to mentor you along the way. What did you feel when she called and told you she was ready to hear you? Uh, I probably felt a lot of relief, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I always think of Dumb and Dumber uh, because so there's there's a chance, you know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so that for me, it was hope. You know, Mm -hmm. she had she called me back saying she was ready to talk. And again, I just, I was tired of being a fraud. I didn't know what it looked like. Um, but when she left during that time, I, I talk about having a bathroom moment. Uh, I was in my bathroom and like, I just remember crying out to God like, dude, you better have my back. You know, like I did this trusting you. And so, and I was broken. Yeah, because... I wasn't raised like this. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I had examples in my life that weren't, I knew where this stuff would lead me. Yeah. And so yeah, I had a, a great amount of hope when she called me back. Yeah. Cause I thought, man, there's a chance that we can do this. I didn't know how, but I had a little bit of hope. And had you planned to like, when she, when she said she'd wanted to hear you that, that you were just going to tell her everything, you know, at that point, did you plan that? Or was that more just like the spirits, like in that moment prompting on your heart? I think we were coached uh, by people who went before us yeah, to kind of lay out the framework of what that looks like. Yeah. But I will say that night I learned secrets that he had kept from any, every, anyone in your mm-hmm. life, really, which was great. But then I had a ton of questions. What about this day? What about when I, we were here? What about, and that was like about for two weeks it trickled, Mm -hmm. which is, that is almost the most painful part because I want the bomb and then I want the shrapnel out. I don't want to feel any more pain, but I also, you know, David buried a ton of stuff and I had to give him grace during that moment 
for me, it felt like the wound kept opening and opening and opening. And for him, he had buried something. So I just started seeing him. I I have to tell you this, and I want to tell you this, and you need to know this. It was different. This was a different man. Mm. So, um, it's like you said it was D day and then like there was still gunfire after, <laughs> you know, like some, uh, post war gunfire that was still happening. And do you think that was, um, you mentioned that that was difficult, but wouldn't you say that that's somewhat natural for somebody who's kept stuff in for so long that a one time divulging of everything is not going to get out probably everything. So more just like, would you, um, in sharing like what's happened with you guys, be able to share with those who are listening? Like that's not, it is natural for it to come out sometimes after the initial, I would say confession of everything when I would wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Any, any couple that we've sat alongside of in this particular situation, including us and those that went before us that we met, it's been the same formula. Mm -hmm. Now for us, like he said, it would be a year later that I would find out about the sexual brokenness. So looking back, it makes me, I mean, now I'm thankful because I see I would not have been equipped to handle all of the things at one time, but the Lord knew I just felt super betrayed mm-hmm. um, again, again. And, but then learning, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, learning that a lot of times an addict will turn from one to one addiction, to another addiction, to another addiction, um, gave me a sense of like, okay, this isn't, David trying to punk me or feed me with a bunch of lies. This is, this, this happens. And so, I mean, I'm not saying it was easy, but I would say to couples who are listening that it is, it is very common that this takes some time to come out because again, they've buried things for so long and they're trying to remember. And as God brings it to light, it'll come in due time. Yeah, I can't remember what I did last week, let it know what I did, you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember being so frustrated. Like, it felt like such, I remember just as you like shared, I would like ask you a question and you would say, you know, I don't remember. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? How could you not remember? Like, that's like a huge thing to me. I will never forget this moment. So surely you remember that. But now looking back and how like choices along the way that we make, we don't remember every choice. Sometimes also because we've tried so hard to suppress suppress that memory. Mm -hmm. So I was just going to say, we've tried, we've made a, a, you know, a lifetime of manipulating and and changing stories. So like to go back and like, even to remember what was actually true about that story is very difficult. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what did... So D-Days happened. What has your restoration looked like? And in what ways has the Lord grown you and changed in your thinking? Well, do you want me to go or? Sure. Now she's offering. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, so like I said, we sought counsel from those who had gone before us and we didn't just pick people that had like PhD at the back of their name. We picked people who had walked our road and had success. So Russell Willingham was one of them from new creations and Scott Miller from CR and together those two men walked us through a plan for full disclosure, a plan of recovery. We wrote up boundaries we had a seven month period of celibacy where we were separated and we fasted and we prayed during this time. We developed our own personal relationships with the Lord so that instead of running to one another to get our needs met, we would run to Jesus. We told our girls during this time, the truth age appropriately, right? They were four five and six. So as they've gone on more has, as they have questions, we answer mm-hmm. And this actually has been incredible because to live in freedom with them, it's created such a culture of conversation in our family that there's no secrets. And, you know, I think sometimes as parents, we think, oh, we're going to hide this from them because what they don't know isn't going to hurt them. And we can't expect something out of them that we Mm. aren't ourselves doing. So that was super helpful. And we were mentored through that because I did not want my girls to know, obviously, Um, We each had our own support groups. We learned how to talk through our feelings openly and validate rather than shoot one another down. We were honest with some of our closest friends around us. And we learned that we can't wait for people to check in on us. Like it's our job to reach out, not other people's job to chase us. I personally had to learn to say what I needed to feel safe and not worry about whether or not he thought my request was ludicrous or not. And that's so vulnerable for me. Um, and we just did a ton of hard work for two years. I would say the first week was every single week, a ton for 52 weeks. We the first year, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. The first yeah. year we would go to CR. We met with sponsors. We, I had a 12 step. We did counseling every Friday. It was just like consuming, consuming. And then You know, I would say that the first 12 years of marriage, really the crazy cycle forced me to get some of my root issues. It it forced me to like address those because we all have healing and intimacy disorders to some level. Mm -hmm. And it pushed me into a, a level of intimacy with David and my girls and close friends and other people that I had never felt before because feelings were hard. I was either sad or happy. I didn't know anything in between. And so when I started learning how to talk openly and candidly, candidly, I realized that vulnerability creates a closeness and it's God's design. So the truth will set us free. So it was incredibly liberating for me to find this joy and freedom through the process of living in confession and repentance. And then at the same time, I saw David change. Like he was not the same person. He was incredibly humble and kind. And he talked a lot about the Lord. And at first I was super hesitant because they were just words. There was an action to back it. But during that time of celibacy, when I witnessed David deny his needs so that I could heal, so that we both could heal, I experienced the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I also realized in that moment that I too was called to that same standard of self-denial that the Lord was calling David to. And it's, it's really not about me. It's displaying forgiveness and grace and mercy for, you know, myself and for David. And so we were both, I think during this time of restoration being redeemed independently, 
and then together in our marriage. Mm -hmm. So what about you, Dave? What did restoration look like as you guys that, like as Linda talked about, especially that first year? Yeah, so I'm in construction. Mm -hmm. And so restoration is like a, a rebuilding, essentially. So we had to start at the foundation. And um, it's a lot of work, you know, to put a foundation in, you have to dig, um, dig deep down into the soil and see uh, what's down there. And then you got to deal with issues you run into, uh, Mm -hmm. whether you're hitting water lines or pipes or whatever, you know, emotionally. Mm -hmm. So like Linda said, we went, we did a lot of counseling, uh, worked on ourselves becoming two independent people, whole people, and then uh, working together, you know, to be one in Christ. But for me, the whole, um, going, I think it was around seven months, uh, with no sexual intimacy with my wife. Um, I thought it was going to be hell because there wasn't an end date and I don't like that. (laughs) So what it caused me to do is live one day at a time. And so I knew today that God was sufficient for today that I could, make it through the day, um, with God's help. Um, so this too, because I wasn't sexually pure when we got married, this was like an opportunity for me to hit reset, Mm -hmm. um, and to do what I felt was right before the Lord. And so it was an amazing opportunity. And I feel like that it was a game changer for me because I couldn't do anything without having sex first and, um, right. as motivation. So it was like the first time that you really ever, um, actually depended on the Lord for yeah. these needs. Yeah. Yeah. I gave it to him. And so, you know, Linda mentioned pretty much everything we did. We drove down to Fresno, I think weekly for a while mm-hmm. to meet with Russell. And, um, I wish I could say that those were all amazing visits, but there's <laughs> some drive home times where I was extremely raged. Um, but yeah. just digging, you know, into like past hurts and why I responded the way I did. Um, my sponsor telling me like I needed constant adult supervision, you know, like <laughs> I was really a, a young, immature kid. Yeah. So that was super helpful. And then just having a, a community of people around me um, who had been there before and for me to reach out and ask for help um, was just tremendously um, an asset to our lives and helped with the reconstruction. And we're constantly remodeling you know, <laughs> yeah. our life. Yeah. Okay. I do have a question. So I know you guys talked about doing your groups and then individual support groups and counseling at this time was your community. Was that mostly your community or did you also um, like you guys were going to church on Sunday at this time? Was that growing as well? Or was it mostly like you guys were kind of consumed with the work you were doing? We were still hosting a community group at our house, but uh, David had to take a step back and we had a friend lead it. Um, We met with our pastor and his wife a handful of times, but um, and that was great. So we had people we could reach out to. 
The problem is when you talk to 10 different people, they're going to give you 10 different pieces of advice. Mm -hmm. And so we decided at one point, because Scott understood the alcohol and drug abuse and Russell understood the sexual sexual addiction, that those were two key people that we needed to follow suit with. And then we got a husband and wife mentor um, that was part of Celebrate Recovery that later, I would say year year two, that really kind of walked us alongside of it. Mm -hmm. So we still had community, but you also need a place to go and have fun and not talk about these things 24 seven. So when we were separated, we didn't do anything with anyone. Okay. I mean, I would go to my friend's house alone on the night that he had the girls or, but we didn't do anything as a couple. Um, Did, um, did people know that you guys were struggling? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. We were so people. Your your friends could pray for you, but it's not like you were talking about it every time you were together, right? Mm-hmm. Here's here's where I um, I did not give details to every single one of my mm-hmm. friends. I don't think those are important. I right. think they're important for me and for David in our marriage, but I don't think it's important for our friends who I'm hoping that they come back. Um, you know that they have a have a relationship with us after this yes. that is uh, untainted. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want totally. to to have that. Right. So I was cautious mm-hmm. in what we shared. Um but then our like close circle, yeah. And then since then you've become more open. Oh yeah. Okay. Because yeah. Yeah. There's hope. Yeah. There I do is. think sometimes it's, it is important. Well and sometimes I know the filter when everything feels very raw um, is just very cloudy. So sometimes like having worked through something, you would share it differently or in different ways than like in the moment, probably even along the lines of details and stuff, because the details feel so important right in the beginning when you're really hurt. Whereas if you give a little bit of distance to it, it's, you can share more generally about that. So, so some people may say like, look at our stories and be like, well, you guys really needed something super intensive, (laughs) which which is true. (laughs) Yeah. But like, what would you say to those individuals and, and couples who are thinking, well, like, I don't really know if I need counseling or. Our issues aren't as they're not as severe. So, what would you say to people who have that mindset? Well, I would say nobody gets out of this life without scars. So everybody gets beat up, smacked around in this life, and everyone gets hurt, uh, whether it's physically or emotionally. Um, And man, there is just tremendous amount of freedom. This life doesn't have to be all that bad, but I think people just continue kick, kicking the ball down the road because they don't want to have to face these issues. They don't want to have to do the work. Our life is not perfect. You know, um, we will constantly have um, struggles, reminders of our past. You know, this today is a reminder of where we came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Michael, to, yeah, to answer your question, let's leave David and my marriage out of it. 
And if when I had to go back with Russell and explore some patterns of behavior in my own life, aside from my marriage or what I had been done to me, there was just natural things that happened as a kindergartner. You know, I started kinder, uh, school not speaking English. That's scary. My, it was broken. Um, so I met a friend and she ended up moving the next year. God took her from me. I mean, I didn't know God took her at that time, but later I had another friend in fifth grade, you know, so excited that we finally met. She was a neighbor. She left the following year. Then again, in junior high, I met two girls. They went to a different high school. Then in my adult life, he's taken, you know, certain people that I'm close to and moved them away. So I know that I have an intimacy disorder there because I contend to not get close to people because I don't, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to feel pain because they might leave me. And so knowing that about myself, I have to really press into friendships sometimes and like talk to myself and say, they're for you. They love you. They're not going anywhere. Even if the Lord takes them, it's going to be okay. Press in. And so that's the rhetoric that I have like going on in my head because I just have these voices that say, you're not worthy. Look, she didn't stick around. Even your husband didn't stick around. So I have to deal with that, you know? So, and I would say that's a, that's probably a smaller level than let's say a betrayal, but it's still a level that breaks me from having true fellowship with other people. Yeah. So what you're saying, it's a, it's a universal problem that every individual goes through in their life, Yeah, whether they're willing to admit it or not. Yeah. You know, that's another thing. We all experience brokenness in our human relationships because every human's broken. You can't get away from it. Mm -mm. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is no matter if there's been sexual betrayal or drug use or any other thing like counsel, mentorship, community is vital for every single individual, no matter where they're at. So it makes me think of an analogy would be you have like drug addicts that can be super high functioning and then you can have some that are living on the streets and it would, it can be tempting for maybe a high functioning drug addict to think, I don't really need help. Only they need help because their life looks like a mess. Whereas maybe it's just because we don't understand what it feels like to be free of the addiction. And if we all had the chance to be free, then we would all do the work that we need to do, regardless if we're living on the streets or if we're coping fine in life. Yeah. True. So that makes me think like to your drug addict uh, analogy, mm-hmm. if, if you have somebody who has um, maybe their sexual sin has been more like overt and like it's been noticed um, or they've been caught or something like, oh, well, that person really needs help because, well, it's, it's in the open. Now, you know, but the, the individual who's maybe struggling, uh, you know, or not struggling, just allowing, giving in to pornography or whatever, you know, more sin that it feels more controllable, controllable. To them. And then like not allowing anybody in. So nobody really knows about that. They may feel like they have more of a handle on, mm-hmm. on it or not need something because, well, no one knows. It's kind of funny because I honestly, um, the first time I ever heard somebody give their testimony about uh, sexual, like I think an affair, um, he was talking about, I remember thinking like, why would you even say that? Like, not like 
you were probably fine if you just didn't share this. Now, now you're messed up because you shared it. <laughs> and that was the logic in my mind. Like you're only messed up once you tell people you're messed up. Yeah. And how, how dumb. Like if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear, does it make a sound? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. It still fell. Mm-hmm. So Linda, what were some of the red flags you saw in Dave's life? And what would you say to individuals who have those same feelings like right now? Maybe they're seeing that in their spouse's life. Um, what are some things that you saw? Um, I saw defensiveness and anger. Um, he would leave for periods of time. Um, manipulative, rule with intimidation. He kept his phone very close. So, um, there was a lot of excessive drinking. So those were some of the red flags that I tried to just say, oh, you're crazy. Believe the best. Uh, I would tell someone who feels those things, or it could be anything to this, of this nature. I would say, trust your intuition. Boundaries are loving. They're not mean. Call Michael or Bree. Talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) There's hope. Um, reach out to someone that you can trust and share these feelings to and go seek counsel together. And if your spouse won't go, go alone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're called to keep ourselves pure. So it's partly my job, our job to fight and keep those impurities out of the relationship, not just sit back and hope that they're going to go away. So they have the saying, nothing changes when nothing changes. So you can't change the other person whether it's a wife or husband, but you can change your response and what you do. And so our role isn't to fix our spouse, but to come alongside of him or her and work together. And some of the key phrases that I changed that were key that I would encourage a lot of people to use is um, to go to that person and say, not like you have a problem, but hey, we need help. And I want to know how we can work together on this mm-hmm. or say, I love you too much to allow whatever it is, insert right there to go on. If a woman or a man has maybe some thoughts or, or they see red flags, like you're talking about, or they have, you know, there's some, some sort of feeling that's making them like be led to thinking that something else is going on Mm -hmm. and maybe they're just, they have doubt and they're like, well, I don't know for sure. What are some questions they could maybe ask their spouse or what could, what are some ways they can breach that conversation and and make it? So it's not like an attack necessarily, Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. like, even though they may be fearful of what the answer could be, what Mm -hmm. are some questions they may be able to like, you know, ask? Well, I have to say that just because we're 13 years past it doesn't mean there's triggers. So I'll tell you what I say today. I might say today. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, I felt uneasy when we were at that particular function. Is there anything that you need to share with me? Mm. Um, We also have in our marriage, I'm allowed to drug test anytime. So... I haven't done that in a long time, but if I did, we have one available at all times to make me feel safe. So I would say, let's say your spouse is dealing with, you know, popping pills or whatever it may be, and you've agreed to a boundary to not do it. You're free to say, Hey, I'm hesitant. I'm feeling hesitant. Um, are you okay if I, you know, 
drug test or I need to be able to drug test you to feel safe and secure in this relationship. So, um, what else? Can you share about what what happened yesterday and at the kitchen table after I told you about showing a property? Oh yeah. He had, um, he, we have this property that's people can rent and this commercial building. And he was saying, he said to me, Hey, there's this gal that wants to, um, rent one of the bays. It's a gym. She's going to be teaching classes in the morning and in the evenings. And my first response was Nope. And then I got to share with them like what it makes me feel and how there's triggers there. And he, he wasn't like, get over it. You know, (laughs) old Dave would have been like, well, get over it. You should trust me. It's been this long, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that way at all. He's like, Hey, whatever you need to feel safe, we will do. This is about you and me. I could care less who the tenant is, but she applied for the application. It came through and I wanted to be honest with you. That's where we live today. Mm. If I would have said, I'm not comfortable with that. And he would have said, get over it. That's a red flag. Mm. So then at that point, I would have probably called you guys Mm -hmm. or someone else and said, we need an intervention here. Tell me if I'm crazy or let David know if he's crazy, but we can't get through this issue on our own. Mm -hmm. I think honestly, that's, and I think most people would feel this way. It's refreshing to hear that, you know, you don't just go through something and then life's great because that's not true. Because I think if, if that's what people thought, then they would be like, well, why are we still messed up? And why do we still have these feelings and issues, you know? So I think it's refreshing to hear that that's those conversations still happen Mm -hmm. 13 years later, Mm -hmm. you know, five years later, 10 years later, wherever, you know, you might be. And that, that does. um, And I think it's important to still happen because if not like, well, one, I think that if you're not sharing what's currently going on, that's still lacking in intimacy mm-hmm. in your marriage, you know? Yeah. Trust isn't like just a blind thing that's either there or not there. I feel, feel like it's much more, um, trust is yes. And it's built by continuing to be open and honest with one another. Right. Not like, I, oh, I trust you if I never ask you a question. <laughs> it's more like, it's more, much more vulnerable than what I used to understand it being. And my hope, honestly, for me is that um, I lay down my life for my wife. So if she has an issue, I have an issue. Mm. You know, I want to be submissive to Christ and I want to love my wife like Christ loves his church and he would do anything for his church. Mm-hmm. And so that's the model that I try to live my marriage mm-hmm. uh, out like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dave, what would you say to men who are listening who might feel like hopeless and defeated in their struggle with sexual sin? Maybe they're maybe they they really just don't want this to be a part of their life anymore. Or or maybe it's not just sexual sin, it's it might maybe it's drug use. Like what would you say to to those guys who feel defeated? Well, you, I would say it's going to be super hard for you to do it alone. Um, because I tried, I tried not to drink on weekdays, you know, I tried to set up all these parameters to protect myself and it just, because I didn't want anybody to know that this was an issue. So I think for, for me, it's like the hope that I have in Christ is that I bring my sin to light and, um, 
And it's super hard because there's a lot of shame and guilt that come with brokenness. But there's tremendous amount of freedom on the other side. Um, so I would encourage guys to reach out to somebody that they would trust um, and be just open and vulnerable about what's going on and um, try to get some godly counsel in that. And not every church in town is set up for that. You know, they just aren't equipped with the tools. But Celebrate and Recovery and Modesto is an amazing uh, place where you can find hope and freedom uh, through the 12 steps. Uh, Russell Willingham uh, down in Fresno is an amazing um, person that someone could reach out to his office. There's ways out there for us to be successful, mm-hmm. but we just have to be willing to take that step. They could call Michael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sure. He'll refer you to Russell. Yes. <laughs> or Dave. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it is definitely a scary, like, I think when, when you're at that point where it's, um, what do I do? The, the thing that is typically what the spirit is leading you to is what you don't want to do. <laughs> so it is very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're saying is, yeah, it's scary, but that's the very thing that's going to help Yeah, in that time. And also to be teachable and be humble. What I see a lot of guys do is they want to control the situation. They want to do what they think is best. But our stinking thinking has got us essentially where we're at. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be willing to set aside your pride and be teachable and be molded and shaped uh, into something far better. I mean, it's not about um, having a better marriage. It's about like having an awesome relationship with Christ. And the marriage is just a byproduct of that. And so he already knows what we're doing, but it's having to, you know, surrender our will to his will. And it's a process and it's continuing in my life. And my ultimate prayer for myself is that I finish life well, you know, because I've seen guys with 15, 20 years of sobriety blow sideways. Mm -hmm. But I, for me, talking to others, helping others, I see that pain in other people's lives and I don't want none, no part of that. Mm. And so, but going back to what would I encourage people is just to reach out to somebody and ask for help. Admit you're powerless over your compulsions, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think was step one. recovery. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) I think that's great. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that there's not this perfect formula to, um, to walking through stuff like this, but there is like some things that are like constant in every couple's marriage being redeemed. Mm-hmm. What would you say are some of those best practices or things that are very vital to, um, a marriage, um, being redeemed? Mm. Spend time with Jesus. That's like the most essential thing. Mm-hmm. Um, be sure to live in community and have those nine one one couples that you can call on. And I say couples, not just one, because maybe one's on vacation and you need another one. Um, full disclosure, I would say is essential. The mindset of 
what he doesn't know isn't going to hurt him or what she doesn't know isn't going to hurt her. That is so destructive. And so I also believe that you need rigorous honesty of your past and your present. I think that's vital for a thriving relationship. You can't create intimacy through deception. You just can't. So it depends if you want a good, better, best marriage. I I would recommend the best Mm -hmm. because secrets (laughs) keep you sick. Um, I think it's vital to celebrate differences. Like I'm not David. David isn't who I am. And we were created by the Lord for different purposes. So to appreciate that David is a visionary and always has a hundred ideas and loves to seek adventure and to appreciate that I'm probably a little less than that. (laughs) It's fine. There's, and I think couples get hung up on that. Well, you should do it my way or Mm -hmm. have fun. Um, David and I had a ton of fun raising our, our girls and we laughed a lot and now they're gone. Well, they're not. I mean, they're in another, (laughs) they're here, but not with us living at home, but we still have fun. We laugh all the time. And it's, I enjoy being in his company and in his presence. Uh, we work through disagreements, right? There's changes of seasons. We check in regularly and a good marriage is a growing marriage. Mm. So don't stop being intentional. You know, we're intentional in pursuing friendships. We're intentional in planning for vacations. We're intentional in planning for our kids' birthday parties or a friend's party or a baby shower or whatever the case may be. And then it's like, we're lazy with our spouse. Like, eh. Um, we can just have soup tonight for dinner. Well, when's the last time I've made him potatoes and steak and salad, which I know is what he loves, right? So I think those are all super important to practice a redeemed marriage. Give back, right? So I host a support group and um, I love the girls in my group. I love people. So the topics are hard, but um, I think support a support group is essential. And share your story with others. I think we're going to forever be on a journey of learning, discovering, and maturing, but to remember that good things can come out of a difficult season and that we're better on the other side of it gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ditto everything that she just said. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing, dude. <laughs> You're very thorough. Linda. I was thinking like if someone, if you guys listening don't have a pen out and, uh, yeah. you know, writing Rewind. some notes down about what Linda just shared, maybe go back and, and take some notes on that because I think that was a perfect summary of, of, you know, what it looks like to grow and to be thriving in marriage in any place, but especially after, you know, brokenness. And I think too, <clears throat> what's helped us is, um, we don't forget where we came from, you know, that so often we still have to talk about those things and it's not always easy. You know, it's hard. Uh, it's embarrassing, mm. but, um, I think if my wife wants to talk about it, we need to talk about it. You know, I think a lot, I see a lot of men who would, they try to dodge it and, I think that makes our wives feel very insecure or crazy when really they're not for feeling that, but just being able to um, essentially die to ourselves again and allow our wives to talk openly about what it is that they're feeling if we are the ones who offended or vice versa. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think that this has been really great and rich. And I think that people will really be um, encouraged by this and by your guys' story. Thank you uh, for being so open and willing to share. Yeah. Thank you guys. I think that the Lord is really going to do something great with this and he has been doing something great with your guys' lives. And I mean, we appreciate your impact on our mm-hmm. marriage and our growth. And I'm just so glad that we got to have you guys on here to be able to share. And we can say like, look at their story and look what God has done. And I think that people will benefit in their own marriage from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I really appreciate you both for stepping out in obedience and faith because it's a topic that isn't discussed much, but so needed. And um, we're in it together. Like it's different being alone in it, but to mm-hmm. know that there's other people feels just, we know who we can go to at any time, which feels exactly. good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, if anything resonated with you guys today, you can reach out to us on our Instagram at intimacy is a verb, or you can find us on our website at intimacy is a verb.com. We're always looking for new topics that you guys care about that we can chat about. So let us know if you have any suggestions.